Hello there, my name is Kathleen, and I'm one of the researchers on the LEA podcast team, and I am very excited for this episode, which is the kickoff of the Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast. This is not a project produced by LEA Podcast, but it did serve as a role model for us to follow. Analyst Corner was hosted and produced by Debbie Osborne in 2008-2009, and she features ideas and interviews related to the development of crime and intelligence analysis in policing. In this first episode, Debbie talks with Lisa Palomiri, who at the time was the president of ILEA, and they highlight the importance of the whole intelligence process. And by listening to this episode, we can see how drastically the narrative has changed. In the past, it was statistics and data analysis, counting crimes and looking at trends, rather where we are now, which is to use that data to understand the problems and take more predictive measures. Today, there's a wealth of information that's seemingly readily available, which has created new problems and roadblocks in its own sense. Take open source data, for example. Questions arise now for the public about widely distributed data like social media how to use open source data in criminal investigations while respecting data protection legislation. But the point to drive home, and the point that Debbie drives home in this episode too, is the fact that intelligence is no longer just information. Now crime and intelligence analysis is taking that data and cleaning it and studying it and analyzing it, and it's moving from reactive to eventually proactive. And a huge factor of that mindset shift in both the public eye and the law enforcement eye, is the training that has been developed and continues to grow with the field. As we know, education and training is super important, and it's discussed heavily in this episode. And actually, at the time, Ayalia had produced a booklet in 2004 sponsored by the Bureau of Justice Assistance. And it was this booklet, written on law enforcement analysis standard, and Lisa Pulmary speaks about the struggle that it was to advocate for those higher standards in education. But now in 2022, there's the analysis toolkit and the IACA certification process, which is held with very high standards and is seen with great respect. So we move from an area of little to no formal training to now having colleges and universities offer crime and intelligence analysis as degrees or certifications in over 26 states. So as you listen to this episode, take note of not just what's changed, but also what hasn't changed. See what stands out as a call to action for growth and for continuation of advocacy for the field of crime and intelligence analysis. So, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Good morning. Welcome to Analyst Corner's first radio show. It's August 18, 2008, and I'm Deborah Osborne, a writer and former analyst located in Buffalo, New York. Today's show is on the topic, Why Crime and Intelligence Analysis Matters. My guest today is Lisa Palmieri, President of the International Association of Law Enforcement Intelligence Analysts, also known as ILEA. My involvement in this important field began almost 11 years ago. As a new analyst in a large city that had never had a crime analyst or an analytical unit, I realized soon that I was faced with an enormous challenge to figure out how to analyze all the crime in my city and produce relevant new knowledge that police could actually use to prevent future crimes, arrest serial and prolific offenders, and solve chronic crime problems in the community. As I began studying the subject prior to September 11, 2001, I also realized that there were many undersupported and misunderstood analysts, not only in the United States, but around the world, 
as well as in the realms of national security. I've been fortunate to have the privilege to help move the profession forward, but we have much work ahead of us to bring crime and intelligence analysis where it belongs, at the center of policing, law enforcement, and public safety. And now it's my honor to welcome Lisa Palmieri to the show. Hello, Lisa. How are you today? Good morning, Deb. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on the first show. Um, I am hoping that the podcasts and the MP3 files that result from the show will be something students and policymakers and educators and analysts can use um, to help them grow the profession. Um, so what do you think, from your point of view, is, is um, how could you sum up? I know it isn't something you could sum up even in a 30-minute show, but the importance of crime and intelligence analysis in law enforcement. I think it's tremendously important. Uh, I came from a military background into law enforcement uh, about 15 years ago, and when I when I came to understand what law enforcement looked at as um, the job of an analyst coming from a military background, I really was taken aback. Um, I, there was not a clear understanding of what analysis was or what intelligence was. And I think we've come a long way since then, um, prodded along probably by the events of, of September 11th. But law enforcement is a very reactive culture, and intelligence by its nature is more predictive, um, interpreting what has happened in order to try to determine what may happen and to counter that. And it's a real, um, it's a real job to to change that kind of culture when it's really not embedded into uh, training of police officers or police managers um, how to effectively manage this this whole intelligence process. Well, I um, came from a background where I had no law enforcement experience and no military experience. However, I had been doing applied behavior analysis with, um, in the field of developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And it and even just working with individuals, there was so much analysis going on in my profession, and it was very structured, and it made a lot of sense to me. And, and the goal was to look at being proactive in preventing problems by understanding them. So when I came to work in policing, I was just shocked as a citizen because as a mother, and I am a grandmother, I thought, wow, uh, the world isn't as safe as I thought it was, and actually that has given me a lot of energy to work in developing the profession in my small way because I just think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I came in with the same perspective. I thought, you know, when I answered an ad in the paper for a criminal intelligence analyst, I said, wow, you know, I, I know what I'm doing in that area, so I'm going to be able to jump right in. And it was a, it was very, very different. And there, the obstacles were uh, overwhelming, at least initially, to um, to try to educate people without, um, you know, Coming in, pretending I had all the answers to say no, we can do more with this information than we're doing, you know, than than supporting criminal prosecutions, which is really the way that law enforcement is trained to use information. It's it's all in support of criminal prosecutions. Um, well, I mean, there are there are some people who do understand this, but like you said, the structure really hasn't been there across the board as it needs to be to do to do the job right. And I think um, from your perspective. Because of the job you have, the jobs you've had have been to support criminal uh, criminal prosecution. Whereas an analyst in a local level law enforcement agency, where mm-hmm. as where I 
worked for 10 years, we were more diagnosing crime problems or looking for serial crimes. However, mm-hmm. it was more data analysis or statistics. The historical thing was more like count the crimes and just look at the trends, but not so much understand the problems and use the wealth of information that's now available to us through through digitized information. And then, of course, there's that other issue of the word intelligence and, and why the public might say, well, we don't want the police gathering intelligence on us. Can you speak to that a bit about what we might mean when we talk about analyzing information in law enforcement that would improve it and not be spying on people? Because I think that's a real concern. Well, you bring up two points. And the first point I just want to hit on real quickly was um, you had mentioned about when dealing at, at a local police department analyzing crime data, a lot of what they were interested in was what already happened. What are the stats? What are the numbers? And not so much how can we get out in front of things? Um, and that is the same with when you're supporting criminal investigations. You use certain information to support um, the elements of the crime in a prosecution, but there's so much more information there that will help you understand an organization, a criminal organization, or help you understand how things are done or what are vulnerabilities in our own system that um, should be addressed. So it's really, um, I think it's just that extra step that most law enforcement analysts face a hurdle in in taking that extra step because police agencies are not set up to quantify that kind of thing. They're set up to quantify how many arrests, how much money was seized, um, you know, how many prosecutions come out of something. They're not necessarily set up to quantify how, to, how they prevented something or what kind of a positive impact that had on the community. Right, or say, let's say, as um, a person working more in white-collar crime, um, an analyst might look at the steps of money laundering and how in the whole system we might be able to leverage change exactly. so that we can reduce money laundering. Or in local law enforcement, um, because local policing answer your 911 call and it's like emergency, it's like an emergency room in a hospital triage mm-hmm. um, running to call to call, but to see that maybe some types of calls could be reduced or prevented altogether if you understood the nature of them or um, the chronic nature of a certain location or type of call that is wasting police resources. Not the legitimate call, but the thing that we could do differently as as community and not always a police response. Exactly, exactly. But again, how do you quantify that? I know. You know, if you want to get more police officers, you need to say we need more police officers because we have too many calls. And reducing the calls and not being able to quantify the other end on how we improve things in the community is, it's just, it's a real quandary. Regarding your question on intelligence, I think one of the biggest issues with this, at least domestically in the U.S., is that intelligence means different things to different people. And it's a very specific thing if you want to look at a definition from the intelligence community. It's, you know, information that has been, you know, pushed through the intelligence cycle. It doesn't necessarily mean it was illegally collected or covertly collected even. Um, Intelligence, I think, back in the 70s, became a very dirty word because people used um, used intelligence as a cover for collecting information illegally. And that's really not what intelligence is. Most police intelligence units are, are only collection units. They will, not illegally, but they will collect information covertly. They will, um, you know, do, do court-sanctioned wiretaps or they will do surveillance or they will use confidential informants and law enforcement refers to the information collected here as intelligence where it 
it's really information collected for intelligence purposes. It's collected for for purposes of, of knowledge, but it's not it hasn't been analyzed, it hasn't been corroborated or vetted. In and of itself it's just information and I think that misunderstanding, which it's getting much, much better in the field again since September eleventh, I think there's a lot more training available to um, law enforcement personnel than there ever was. So um, there's a better understanding, but it, it has not gotten to the public realm. In the military, um, the view of intelligence wouldn't just be, though, say, the information collected as as an intelligence unit would in the police department. It would also be any knowledge you had, wouldn't it? Like the open source information, what you could find out about people. Um, even in a, in a city, um, an analyst could look at the weather as a form of information that could be used for intelligence, say a pattern was related to the weather. There's so many things that aren't secret, but it's the combining all that information to make useful knowledge that people can can um, em- employ to make decisions that will help prevent crime or um, prevent a, a type of crime problem from occurring, mm-hmm. like as you said, would be art which is difficult to measure, um, are all part of that intelligence. It's not all, actually a very small portion of it is secret um, from my understanding. That's, that's correct. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people who work in the intelligence community are very comfortable in a classified environment, and it's even a push to get them outside of that box sometimes, but there is tremendous information available open source. I mean, when you talk about um, in the military, and I'm sure that they've changed the terminology by now because it was 20 years ago, but we used to call, um, we used to have a term, intelligence preparation of the battlefield, which was basically knowing everything you can about the area you intend to go into. And that would include the weather, it would include geography, it would include who lives in the community, it would include all the information that it was possible to collect on this one area. And that, I mean, I think you probably would have to change the name, but you could use that in in a community policing kind of strategy to say, you know, we want to know everything there is to know about this community that's going to affect how we police and actually work the intelligence cycle to support that community policing strategy. It's very funny that you say, that you refer to intelligence preparation of the battlefield because during my research for my project for the Joint Military Intelligence College, I read a book on, on that topic, and I realized I actually wrote an essay, and it is on my blog somewhere, Intelligence Preparation of the Community. <laughs> You're kidding. No, and, we, and I know you didn't know this, Lisa, so this isn't a scam or anything. I but I really um, have, when I read that, I thought, well, this is a term we could use if only we could get over that word intelligence, you know, exactly. the fear of it, but that we could actually learn how to um, look at the community holistically. And an advantage, especially in local level law enforcement, um, is you have a very confined area, so you don't even have problem. It's not like going into enemy territory. You have your city property records. You have... Um, you know where your transportation routes are without going to get secret maps. <laughs> you just know everything, um, and you could know it if, if within a city or town people shared the information to, to just so they would understand things. Not so much you don't even know what you're, sometimes the nature of your problems without all that information put together. Yeah. And, um, and I think it would may also be a force multiplier we are all faced 
another reason why crime and intelligence analysis matters is that we're faced with um, money crisis in our country and communities. Um, you know, with I know New York State, they're thinking of cutting a, a billion from the budget or something like mm-hmm. that, some ridiculous amount. But who, how are we going to, to serve the citizens with reduced resources? Well, and that's, you make a very good point. But again, I think it all comes down to how to measure or quantify this kind of work. You know, when, when budgets are cut, nobody wants to cut a police officer. An analyst has a much more difficult time quantifying what they've done in a month if they're doing work like, for example, if you want to call it intelligence preparation of the community. Um, it's a very difficult thing to quantify. It's, it's thinking, it's researching, it's writing, and it's producing something for a decision maker. If the decision maker does not value that, then that they're going to be on the chopping block. And I, and I totally agree with you coming, obviously, um, being president of ILEA going on my fifth and final year, the value that analysts bring to policing and to law enforcement is is tremendous and can be much, much more um, substantial if, if everybody gets on the same page, if everybody understands how important this is, how it can be used, because I still don't think that most of our analysts are used um, to their potential. And I hear this, obviously, I hear this from the analysts themselves because it's easier for, for me to speak out as president of ILEA than it is for, you know, Joe Smith to, to, to speak out at um, Buffalo's, Buffalo Police Department, you know. Right, and I have, and since I've done research and interviewed people and tried to study the field, I also have that awareness that there are many people not utilized as analysts the way that we know they could be. Um, and I think I was the important thing that listeners might not realize, especially if they're not working in law enforcement, is the role, the obstacle we face as analysts is an analytical community and getting police managers to understand the value of the analyst. And and that is a complicated and confusing um, problem. I know there's very few professions that I've, I don't know if I've ever heard of one, where the workers have to convince their bosses of their value. And they're hired and no one knows, they're hired and no one knows what they should do. Yes. Well, I will tell you, I I have a perfect example. I had... um, Somebody come to me, he was he's starting up a fusion center in his state, and he said, okay, I'm all set, I have the positions, I have you know two analyst positions I'm going to hire. Um, what do I do with them once I get them? Mm-hmm. And I just, I almost fell off my chair and saying, okay, first of all, <laughs> if you haven't outlined your need for analysts, you probably shouldn't be hiring any yet. But the fact is, you have to identify what your problems are. They're there to deal with, with issues. What is of concern to your state? That's where you start. You can't just sit them in front of a computer and say, okay, you can access all this information. Go analyze. There, I think the, the big thing they forget is the planning and direction part of the intelligence cycle is where you start. And if you don't have a plan, you don't have a problem identified, you don't have an issue or a topic matter that's of interest, you can't incorporate the rest of the intelligence cycle. So why do you think that it is such a problem, though? I mean, I'm sure you've given this some thought as president of ILEA and as mm-hmm. a working analyst yourself. I know I did some training at a fusion center and saw the same type of thing where people were doing work and were called analysts, but they weren't given direction, and they might not have actually been the, the, 
the right person to be the analyst to right. you know people are hired another obstacle is analysts are hired by people who don't know what they want That's and correct. then they hire people who can't do the job if the job that's that is what the field standard would say you know what we people who have been trying to develop standards in the field who who care about professionalization so right. this is what a good analyst can do and these are the skills which are high level by the way mm-hmm. for listeners mm-hmm. and 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 then the, those anal, those individuals who aren't if they're not self-motivated to work against the current of having people not understand your mm-hmm. work and if they don't have a lot of initiative or they're not talented enough to produce in that environment then people could say, well, why do I need an analyst anyway? Yeah. My analysts don't do anything. Well, that's a very good point. And we, Ilea, um produced a booklet in 2004 that was sponsored by the Bureau of Justice Assistance on law enforcement analyst standards. And it was, um, it was quite a battle because I, I think we could have set the standards higher. And the analysts in the room who were part of that booklet all thought the standards should have been higher, but we were, we were also dealing with police executives who felt that they would not be able to hire analysts at that standard because of whatever budgetary concerns or professional development concerns. So we actually had to settle for what I think is probably a baseline standard as opposed to something to really reach for. Um, and that's the first thing that I had seen written for law enforcement analysts Ever that was accepted nationwide, that was accepted by a national body. Um, and and I, I agree with you, people still don't, I mean, it's gotten better in the past couple of years. Um, and I'm very happy to say that ILEA has been invited to national level discussion where analysis is concerned. Um, a lot of it focused on the new fusion centers, but a lot of it is more general as well, um, involving the National Criminal Intelligence Sharing Plan, training standards, and, and things like that where, I mean, I, I actually came across paragraphs that would said analysts were there to search databases upon request. But you can imagine that I, I wrote a little bit more on that. Um, we've, we've actually been given a voice. The problem is in these meetings where policy and, and, and direction is decided for law enforcement, you're dealing with police executives who really haven't had this type of training. There's no intelligence career path. There's no intelligence training. I think... I've heard very differing things about the FBI's National Academy um, intelligence-led policing block that's kind of been all over the place. I mean, that's, that should be a standard for police management, and I'm not even sure where that is right now. So I think, I think go ahead. Okay. Well, I think it's even just the basic potential of information to help decision makers, you know, is, is not understood. But I also think it's that fragmentation of policing in the United States that is not... Um, experienced as, as dramatically in other countries where you have mm-hmm. over 15,000 agencies. Right, that does And not you help. have a leader, a separate leader for every single agency. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, have have to, you have to market to each and every one of them. Mm-hmm. And then they retire. And then you have to get the next one. It's exhausting. We are, um, we're doing an, an intelligence-led policing workshop at the International Association of Chiefs of Police Conference in San Diego in November. I'm hoping to maybe get 150 people in the room where we're all on the same page for that 90-minute block of time. Um, it's it's very, very difficult thing. We've written articles for Police Chief Magazine. Um, there is training available through different government agencies now, which is it's it's not talking about the high-level analysis that you and I would hope for, 
at some point, but it's getting better. It's just a really difficult nut to crack without being able to measurably say, if you hire analysts, this, this is how it's going to help you. This is how it, you're going to be able to measure and show the community that it's worth that expenditure. What would you think a good analyst should be able to do for a, a law enforcement decision maker? I think that depends on what level and what kind of expertise might be expected. Um, I mean, at a local PD, I think that's almost the best of all worlds because you have uh, you have certain information that you own that you can get access to. Whatever you need locally, you can get. Um, and you know, uh, contributing open source material and all other things. Uh, at least you have access to all the information from your agency, which once you get up into state and federal levels, that is not a given. Um, and being able to use your at least your agency's information in combination with whatever open source or local information that's available, you should be able to go to your decision maker and say, okay, we're having a problem. This is the problem. I've defined it as A, um, possibilities based on things that I've seen or based on this methodology that I use to analyze this problem could be A, B, C, or D, depending on how much money you have, depending on what your resources are. And then the decision maker would at least have three or four options. And, of course, they may come up with their own based on the analysis. But at least you give them a place to start because you're the one that's knee-deep in all this information. You're the one that knows how to analyze it in a logical, critical way so that you're not just going on gut feelings and, and, and completely un, un, guesses that are not based in fact and based on logical premises. Um, since you've worked at the state level, and, and I haven't as an analyst, as you said, I do agree totally. I think it is not only the best world because we have information at the local level, but also because as an analyst at the local level, you get to see you get to see the results of your work. You get mm -hmm. feedback that you don't at, the, let's say, the national level and sometimes the state level. Or if you're doing strategic work, you don't get the immediate result. Um, mm -hmm. you do, um, locally, you can see things. You're connected. You don't get transferred out your, in your right. city. But um, what about that problem about the, pro the cross-jurisdictional problems, too, in the state when you have, say, like an organized theft ring in a state and you can't get the data from the different cities because another thing citizens might not understand is each each jurisdiction owns its data. They don't have to share it the way you know, depending on state laws, but you might not get it as an analyst the way that's useful for you. You know, if you don't have any detail, you just have Absolutely. a Absolutely. You know, and there how are, do you figure that out? Well, it, that's it's a very difficult question. If you identify say, a crime organization, there's no way to know. I'll, I'll just take Massachusetts. There's no way to know every municipality that might have information that would be useful to you. And right. even if you put out you know, an announcement, hey, I'm looking at, at this crime organization and anybody who has any relevant information, please provide that, the way that everyone's information is stored and maintained can make it very burdensome for people to respond to that kind of a request for information. It's not, it's not automated. It's not necessarily even searchable. Um, the technology has not been designed from the, from the ground up so that there can be that kind of collaboration unless somebody wants to 
or has time to, to make that extra effort and, and get the information to, to whoever needs it. So it, it I think that there, that makes it so hard for a good analyst to even do good work, though. At, yes, it does. At, at the level, and so that also makes it hard to prove your value if you can't, you, you know, it's like a searching against an all brick walls in different directions. And as you said, you don't know what you don't know. If you don't have exactly. the information, you can't analyze it. I think um, your experience in the military and your understanding of intelligence and mine as someone who's analyzed behavior in a very um, structured way that was accepted by my colleagues and, and understood and agreed upon brought us to this profession with sort of fresh eyes. Um, what was your background before you came to this field? What educational background did you have? A political science degree, so okay. lots of research and analysis. And so I consider the analyst in law enforcement to be a knowledge worker and that our goal is to create timely knowledge, practical knowledge. It can't be academic knowledge. Exactly. Um, rich knowledge as full as possible, like that intelligence preparation of the community. Mm-hmm. And that objectivity that you mentioned and being proactive. How could an analyst help a decision maker be more proactive? Well, you see, and this is a lot of this, unfortunately, uh, relates to the relationship between the analyst and the decision maker. And quite often, there are four or five layers of police management standing between an analyst and a decision maker. So it's not always that easy. It's not always the situation, particularly state or federally, um, where you have access to that decision maker, you can discuss with them what their needs are so you can better target your work. Um, there may be, you may have a great intelligence product and pass it up the chain of command and it just doesn't get to the decision maker. Or you can have a decision maker that doesn't necessarily understand the intelligence process, doesn't, um, maybe doesn't task the analyst to do what they need to, to do to make decisions. It, there's, there are so many um, structural issues, I think, in the way police agencies are structured that hinder the analyst truly understanding what the decision maker needs, there's, uh, I don't know if there's any easy answers to that. Yeah, we only have um, a little minute or two left. And so we know that it's valuable to have analysts. Do you, what do you see for the future? I see more training and education for the police managers who are coming up in the ranks now. Um, I do see more of an understanding, a lot more understanding now than I did 15 years ago. I think we've come a long way. I think we have an awful long way to go, and we just need to keep trying to push this type of awareness and training into existing police training so it, we don't lose what we've gained. Would it, could we also reach to other policymakers, such as mayors, or, um, or just educate citizens more about the value of this some way? We could, but... When you deal with politicians, there's always there's always a danger of of things being used for right, political so purposes, mm-hmm. which makes it a little scary. And I I know that's not anything new. Um, public awareness, I think that would be a great thing. But again, you have people with agendas putting spin on things. Um, it can be a very difficult task to well, go outside you. the yeah. community. Well, I can see that the show is going to end, and I really appreciate it. Um, people can see, see the link at my blog also at www.analystcorner.blogspot.com and um, visit the IALEA website, um, IALEA.org, 
And thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank um, you very much, Debbie. My pleasure. Great. Okay, have a great day. Okay, Bye-bye. you too. Bye-bye.